get rolling. Um, recording in progress. There we go. Recording is now in progress. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, December 7th, 2021, which means only one thing, only one thing, and that is tonight we begin the Kabbalah of the Matrix. That also means that we are going to continue exploring the Torah portion of this week, which is Vayigash. Yesterday, I mean, I don't think you can get more dramatic than yesterday. Yesterday was the dramatic plea of Judah to Joseph about the family situation, about the drama that has been unfolding, simmering over these last few weeks. And now Benjamin is incarcerated for stealing the cup of the viceroy, the royal goblet, silver cup. And Judah pleads with, with, um, with Joseph, who doesn't know Joseph, to let him go and that he should take his place because this kid has to go back home to his father. His father is going to die if he doesn't, doesn't get his, his son back. So dramatic. And it's at this moment that Joseph finally reveals his identity. And he says those epic words, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. Ha'od Avichai, his father still alive. And with this, he reveals his identity and the, the entire story becomes, at the same time, more confusing, but also more clear. It's a weird thing. It becomes, you can imagine how just shocked the brothers are. So on the one hand, it's completely baffling and bewildering. On the other hand, it all makes sense. This guy who accused them out of nowhere of being spies, put them through the ringer, had them bring down Benjamin, kept on asking about the family, is their brother who was trying to facilitate, as we said many times, the idea of tshuva, the idea of putting them in a similar situation where they could have sold out the last remaining son of, of Rachel and they fought for him. That means that they have on some level repaired the, uh, the, the, the indiscretion that happened with Joseph, with the sale of Joseph. And um, Joseph is, is allowing them to, to experience that level of tshuva. We also talked about yesterday how even in this process, or even after telling, revealing his identity, Joseph reassures them. He's the one that says, don't feel bad, don't worry, you didn't sell me here, God sent me here. Sold or sent? That is the question. Are we sold? Do we look at ourselves as victims in life? Sold by this one, sold by that one? Or sent wherever we are, whatever's happened to us, wherever we're at, God has put us here to do the next big thing. That is the choice that we make at every moment. And that Joseph tells us, models for us, a powerful approach in life. Okay, so let's see how the story unfolds. Let's see how the story continues. I'm going to share my screen with you. And we're going to jump in to reading number three. As soon as it loads. Here we go. It did, it did load. Wow, look at that. It loaded without me noticing. Um, just quickly double check that we went all the way down. Yes, we did. Okay, reading number three reiterates that last point that I just made that we covered yesterday, chapter 45 of Genesis, verse number 8. Joseph continues speaking to his brothers and says, And now, you did not send me here. I mean, you can't be any clearer than this. You brothers did not send me here, but God. And God made me a father to Pharaoh. God made me a father to Pharaoh. 
Okay, that means that he is, even vis-a-vis Pharaoh, he has, he has uh, some leverage. A lord over all his household and a ruler over the entire land of Egypt, Joseph is speaking to his brothers about how good things are, but it's not just, see, I made it despite what you did to me. He's saying the only way that I got here is because God put me here in this position. So it's all turned out to be a blessing and it's all turned out to be a shlichut, a, um, an emissary ship from God. Let's continue. Oh, but I should mention, parenthetically, that there is one element that Joseph had over Pharaoh. I'm sure I've mentioned this before in other classes. That is that Pharaoh knew most of the languages of the world except for Hebrew. And Joseph who was, in addition to his other qualities, also a very smart guy, he also knew all the world's languages plus Hebrew. So when they were having a bit of a conversation, when Joseph was being appointed as viceroy, so Joseph revealed that he, to Pharaoh that he knew Hebrew, and Pharaoh said, you know what, keep that, keep that little piece between you and I. Because there was an ancient tradition in Egypt that whoever knew the most languages was to be the most respected respected person in in society and so pharaoh kind of made joseph not kind of made joseph promise that he would never divulge the fact that he had one language up on pharaoh himself so when he says here to his brothers that god made me a father to pharaoh is he alluding to the fact that he had some superiority over pharaoh himself could be but clearly it's that pharaoh appointed him to be in charge and even at this point pharaoh would listen to joseph's advice Let's continue verse number nine. Hasten and go up to my father. This is Joseph to his brothers. Quickly go up to my father. It's also their father, but go up to dad and say to him, so said your son Joseph, God has made me a Lord over all the Egyptians. Come down to me, do not tarry. What a message after 22 years, right? Imagine Jacob getting that message. God has, Joseph says, Joseph is alive and he says, God has made me a Lord over the Egyptians. Come down to me, do not tarry. What, what, what news? I mean, talk about breaking news. Verse 10, and you shall dwell. This is again, Joseph to his brothers, to them specifically, not, not, not to tell their father, but information. And you shall dwell. I want you guys to move down here and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. That's the city that in Egypt that was earmarked, that he had earmarked for them. And you shall be near to me, you and your children, your grandchildren, and your flocks and your cattle and all that is yours. It seems that Joseph is well aware of the dynamic. We had this already last week. Remember when he set the Jew, his brother's separate seating at the meal than the Egyptians because it wasn't, the Egyptians would not eat together with Hebrews? Okay, so... As Joseph is inviting his family, his brothers and their family down to Egypt, he's telling them, I'm going to put you guys near to me. We'll all be together. A little bit of a a shtetl, the little shtetl of Goshen where the Jews will hang out. And I will, says Joseph, I will sustain you there. I will sustain you there. For there are still five years of famine. Right? We still, we're still on the clock with the, with the seven years of famine. We're two years in. There's still another five years to go. 
lest you become impoverished, you and your household, and all that is yours. So he's saying, you know, I, I want to take care of you guys. I want to make sure that you're okay. There's five more years of, uh, of challenge, of, of thin, of, of famine. So live near me and I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. Let's continue. I'm sorry, I misspoke. This is all the message to Jacob. All of this, verse 9, 10, and 11, is Joseph telling his brothers what to say to their father, Jacob. Right? God has made me Lord over the Egyptians. Come down to me, do not tarry. You'll dwell in Goshen. You'll be near with. You'll be near to me. Your children, grandchildren, your whole everything, all your stuff, and I'll take care of you, lest you become, you know, impoverished. Okay. So all that is a message to his father. This is all um, the the way of expressing. Uh, it, it's a way of encouraging his father to move down to join him and to move down to Egypt, which is a big move. It's a very big move to leave the land of Canaan, to leave the promised land. To go down to Egypt, which was not a, uh, a kosher place, would require a little bit of massaging. But you know, he loved Joseph, and Joseph was alive, so that's already a good a good angle on this. We continue, verse twelve. And behold, your eyes see, as well as the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth, or that it is yeah that it that it is my mouth speaking to you. This is now J- Joseph speaking to his brothers. So. You see that I'm, I'm, it's me, right? It's me that I'm speaking with you on this. And you shall tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you've seen, and you shall hasten and bring my father down here. Right? Don't leave out any details. Speak of how prominent I am and how good it's going to be here and make sure to bring down dad and the family. More crying. And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. We spoke about tears yesterday. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. They were crying on each other's necks. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. More weeping. This is the fifth mention of the word vayevk. And he cried. He wept. He cried for all, all when he kissed and hugged all of his brothers. And afterwards, his brothers spoke with him. Until then, I mean, they, they were all shocked and, and just flabbergasted and, and, and beyond words. Afterwards, they, after all this, they had a conversation, and that was that. Um, I want to pause here for a moment and toggle some Rashi. Okay, this verse, verse 12, And behold, your eyes see as well as the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that is my mouth speaking to you. What does that mean, your eyes see? That is my mouth speaking to you. What exactly does that mean? So Rashi explains, behold your eyes see, and we, we, we talked about this before, but I just want to kind of come full circle here. Y- your eyes see my glory. In other words, you see my honor. Glory is a little bit of a weird translation, I think. You see my honor. You see how important I, I am in Egypt. And you also see that I am your brother, for I am circumcised like you. And moreover, you can see that it is my mouth that is speaking to you in the holy tongue. That's what it means. You see that it is my mouth speaking to you. My mouth, meaning I'm speaking to you in Hebrew. There's no way I would know Hebrew if I'm not your brother. He's just basically doubling down on the fact that it's me. It's legit. This is not a dream. You know, pinch. This is real. It's not the matrix. Maybe it is. Aha. 
Okay, let's continue with the next Rashi. He says, as well as the eyes of my, of my brother Benjamin. You have seen me as well as Benjamin. What does that mean? Rashi explains. Again, Rashi always jumps in. Whenever you encounter a verse that seems a little bit, I don't know, needing some, some commentary, some explanation, always good to toggle, toggle Rashi, pull open a Rashi, and check out the, uh, the commentary. Rashi explains, why does Benjamin get called out here? What's going on? Your eyes see as well as Benjamin. What's going on? So Rashi says, he compared them all together, saying that just as I harbor no hatred against my brother Benjamin, for he did not participate in selling me, neither do I have any hatred in my heart against you. Why is Benjamin specified? He's, he's again re-emphasizing the fact that he doesn't harbor animosity toward the brothers. He says, guys, I really, I'm not upset at you. Legit, I'm, not, I'm legitimately not upset at you. Just like Benjamin. Benjamin, of course, Benjamin wasn't even there. He wasn't part of the sale. It was his brother, his baby brother. I'm not upset at Benjamin. I'm not upset at you. God sent me here for you, for dad, to take care of the family. All is good. Let's continue. Verse 14, and I'm going to share an insight on the Rashi. First Rashi and then an insight. So Rashi, so the Torah tells us, that Joseph fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. In other words, they each, they, I guess they hugged each other, and they were on their, each other's necks, you know, right, in a hug, and they were crying. Rashi explains. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, why did he cry on Benjamin's neck? For the two sanctuaries, the two temples, the holy temples, which were, to, which were destined to be in Benjamin's territory in Israel, and would ultimately be destroyed. So why, according to the, this is from the from Megillah, from the Talmud. According to the Talmud, is brought in Rashi. Why is Joseph crying on Benjamin's neck? Because it was to be in Benjamin's territory. Okay, one second, time out. The obvious reason is reunion, brothers. But there were already tears, and there were already hugs. What's this additional um, crying? What's going on over here? So the, the commentaries explain that the sages tell us that there was a deeper prophecy, a prophetic cry, that Joseph was crying over Benjamin's loss because it would be in Benjamin's territory in the Holy Land that the two temples would rise and be destroyed. So mourning the destruction of the two holy temples in Benjamin's piece of land in Israel, that was why Joseph cries on Benjamin's neck. And why does Benjamin cry on Joseph's neck? Let's continue the next Rashi. Benjamin wept on his neck. Why? For the tabernacle of Shiloh, or Shiloh, which was destined to be in Joseph's territory, yet, once again, would ultimately be destroyed. Now, the tabernacle in Shiloh, the Mishkan in Shiloh, was actually before the two temples. But it was destroyed at some point, or at least it was compromised. And that was in Joseph's territory. So Benjamin cries over Joseph's loss. So if we were to break this down very simply and, to, and summarize it, it would be this. Joseph is, is crying over Benjamin's loss and Benjamin is crying over Joseph's loss. Does that make sense? The Rebbe says it doesn't make any sense. The Rebbe asks the following question. Why is it that each one is crying for the other guy. You have your own loss. In other words, Benjamin lost two, ultimately, would be destined to lose two temples in his own territory. 
So why not cry over, over your own stuff? And Joseph would lose the Mishkan of, in Shiloh. He should cry over his own stuff. Why are they crying about each other's stuff, but not, not their own? They should cry over their own loss. I mean, don't we do that all the time? Right? We, we bemoan our losses and our fate, and, and we, we fetch, and we... Yeah, it's, it's normal. So it would be normal for Benjamin to cry over his own loss, and Joseph as well. Why are they crying for each other's loss? The Rebbe, the Rebbe asked this question, and he explains beautifully. The Rebbe says... That when it comes to your own khurban, when it comes to your own destruction or devastation or loss, crying doesn't help. Rebuild, right? Pick up the pieces and rebuild. For yourself. For yourself. What's the, what, what are the options? To just break down and give up and, 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 and fold? Or to pick yourself back up and keep on going? Pick yourself back up and keep on going. There's no time to cry. We got we to we move forward. When it comes to someone else's loss, we can't pick up the pieces for them. We can try to help them. We have to cry with them or cry for them. We have to empathize with the other person. So when it comes, again, very simply, when it comes to your own stuff that needs to be fixed, fix it. When it comes to someone else's stuff, empathize with them. Empathize with them. Help them, but empathize Crying is for the other, not for oneself. Because crying doesn't, doesn't help. Crying doesn't, doesn't fix anything. So I'll tell you a story. One of, my, uh, one of the Hasidic stories that I love. It was Russia. Back in the day, at a Hasidic Fabrengen. This is in the times of the communists, which is not that long ago, but the, the early years of communism maybe the 1920s, 1930s, early years of communism. And there was a Hasidic, Hasidic Fabrengen, Hasidic gathering taking place underground, whether it was actually underground or, you know, incognito, whatever it was, Hasidic Fabrengen going on. And the rabbi, the mashpia, the, the spiritual mentor, was talking about self-improvement and about everything that needs to be done, and, you know, collectively, individually. Etc. All, all and both. And, you know, the students there, the disciples were taking it very seriously and some of them were crying, crying over what, you know, the, the distance that we have from God and the spiritual, our spiritual failings and our, our moral um, compromises that we make and, you know, crying over, over the state of, of, of affairs. Well, at these Fabrengans, there was always a lookout. Why was there a lookout? Because at a Fabrengen in communist Russia, sorry, because a Fabrengen in communist Russia was not officially sanctioned by the party. And thus, if the NKVD, which is the forerunner to the KGB, if the NKVD would come on in and, uh, and catch a Fabrengen in action, they would arrest everybody there on the spot. So there was always a lookout who wasn't sitting at the Fabrengen, somebody who was, you know, minding their own business, allegedly outside, and just watching to see what was going on to, to, to warn the others in case something, something was coming up. Well, middle of this Fabrengen, the, the, um, the lookout comes running in and says, guys, the NKVD is coming. Immediately everyone jumps up 
and 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 you know there's escape routes and all that stuff. Everyone jumps up and clears out, cleans up whatever it is, like like no had had been going on. Well, after some time, after the danger had passed, everyone reconvened, and the Fabrengen resumed. And the rabbi said to the students, he said, I want to point out something interesting. When I talked about spiritual, the spiritual work we need to do, everybody was crying. And when the, when the lookout, but when the lookout guy came and said the NKVD is coming, what happened? You guys crying or you guys got up and did something about it? Right? Was there crying or was there movement? Was there action? See the difference? In other words, when it comes to the things we need to work on, the stuff that's broken that, that needs to be fixed within ourselves, the stuff that's broken that needs to be fixed. Do we cry or do we start moving? That's the question. So often we cry. Why do we cry? Honestly, it's easier. It's much easier than doing something. Tears are easier. It's easier to feel bad about something than to do something to fix it or to change it or to whatever. It's easier. I'm not, this, is not, uh, this is not meant to be, um, um, you know, I, I don't want to, it's not a negative point. I think it's a positive point. The positive point is, let's remember what happens, right? When you really feel that, that, that something is in danger, that when, when you really feel danger, is you get up and you move. All right, good. Get up and move. That, that's, that's the message for us as well. For the internal stuff, the stuff that we need to fix. We, we, we need to get up and move and to, to take action and to do something about it. So when Joseph is thinking about his own khurban, his own destruction, the stuff that needs to be fixed, he needs to act on that and take care of it. When Benjamin thinks of his own stuff that needs to be fixed, he's got to fix it. When they think of each other's devastation, each other's sorrows, that's where the tears come in. Tears for the other, action for oneself. Let me check in. Does that make sense? Not saying that if you're sad about something, it's terrible. Of course not, right? But it can't, it shouldn't stay there, right? We need to, and again, it's not me, it's really not about anyone telling anyone else. It's about understanding this modeling of behavior. Joseph doesn't cry for himself, he cries for the other. Benjamin doesn't cry for himself, he cries for the other. And the Rebbe says, why? Because they were not going to simply cry and sigh and moan over their own stuff. They were going to do something about it, hopefully. Okay, so that is that. Questions, comments? Donna. Okay. But so they prophesied each other's loss of the temple and the Mishkan, but as far as action, what could be done? I mean, they had the forewarning. Yeah. Well, the, the, the good news is that when it comes to prophecy, a negative prophecy could be averted. We have a tradition. A negative prophecy could be averted. So the prophet says, if a prophecy is a, that at some point this is destined to, be, to happen, it's not written in stone. It can always be changed. It's pending. A negative prophecy is pending. So they had a negative prophecy. Pending. But they weren't able to. They weren't able to. But they tried. They tried. I think. I hope. Well, they, you know, they, they, they didn't live in the future. They lived when they lived. But I'm right. sure they communicated that. And you know, the message would be for all time and for us as well. So when you, when you notice something wrong, don't just 
you know, put your hands up and say, ah, what can be done? It's, it's terrible. It's crazy. Do something about it. Right? Let's do something about but, it. Yeah, so why would they get the prophecy if they're not going to be there to prevent it? And right, so they have to cry about each other's. I guess that it's to set a... to set a, um, a lesson for us? A lesson for us. So that the Jews who were living in the times of the temple, right, when they would see what's going on and realize, like, okay, wait, is, we're, not, we're not behaving as we should, each of them should take responsibility and say, I need to change something. I need, I need to change something about myself. Not just throw up my hands and say, oh, this community is, you know, ah, oh, we've, we've gone downhill or, you know, there's so much corruption. But to say... Yeah, the idea was it was a warning for the future yeah. to try and not have it happen. Exactly. To try to avert it. Exactly. The negative prophecy is not written in stone. It's written in pencil. It can always be... right. Pencil it in. Etch a sketch, as you say. Etch, etch a sketch. That's right. Etch a sketch. By the way, I'm now, I moved on from etch a sketch to... What is it called? Color bright? Light bright. Remember those little pegs? You had that board with the little pegs that used to light up different colors. Yeah. Yeah. So those things are back. Everything's back. It's amazing. So retro. Did I mention the Matrix is back also? Anyway. All right. The reason why we're doing, one of the reasons why we're doing Kabbalah of the Matrix, you see I have Matrix on my mind, is because they're coming out with the fourth film after almost 20 years. They're coming out with the fourth film, which is... Are you going? Kind of I haven't seen any of them. So is there going to be some kind of? I'll give some context. Yeah, I'll give some context. But it's it's not like we're going to be playing like you know clips and then analyzing it. That's not you know it's maybe a different you know maybe for a different teacher for a different occasion. But not no. We're going to be doing sudden Kabbalah, straight up Kabbalah that speaks of themes that come up in the in the film, and I'll speak about the themes, and then we'll we'll do the study. Okay. Um, yes, Joy. But also, the prophecy is given, and it's always given with, that God will be there to take you out, to be... Correct. Correct. It's never that it's going to be bad, and that's it. There's always the light at the end of the tunnel, for sure. Thank you for mentioning that and reminding us of the light at the end of the tunnel. You know why New Yorkers are so depressed? Because the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. I'm kidding. All apologies to Jersey. Nope, that was not a dig at Jersey. I mean, it was, but it wasn't mine. It was just a joke, but lights and tunnels. Whenever mm -hmm. I would visit someone in New Jersey, all, the first thing they would do is bring me to the window and say, look at the view of Manhattan. Of course, I just right. took a trip from Manhattan. I mean. <laughs> You're like, I need to see your view. I'm there. Right. right. Although, it's, it's, a, it's a nice view. I spent um, several years in New Jersey. so I'm a fan. As you may know, I studied in Yeshiva, New Jersey. I spent summers in New Jersey. Good place. Always a jug handle. You ever notice that? You always make, want to make a turn, a left turn. You got to go right and swoop around, and then you go left. Whatever. It's a thing. Short Hills Mall. Livingston Pizza. The kosher place. Anyway. All right. Back to our story. Let's continue with the Torah portion. Okay. Sharing this again. Um... Yeah, so Rashi says what I said before. We're just going to finish up one more Rashi. He kissed, he continued to kiss. Um, and afterwards, so Rashi says, after they saw him, after the brothers saw him weeping and that he was wholehearted with them, in other words, they saw that he was generally not upset at them, then they spoke to him. Whereas Rashi says, previously they had felt shame before him, 
suddenly now they were able to find the words and speak before him. Okay, verse 16. Let's continue. And the voice was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, in other words, word spread quickly. And what was the word? Joseph's brothers have come. And it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Why did it please Pharaoh and his servants? I mean, Joseph was like the rescue, the savior of Egypt. He was like the Messiah of Egypt. Joseph was this kid that came from nowhere, from a prison, and like changed the country in a good way. So imagine he hears, there's 11 more, 11 more brothers. He's like, this is great. It's like the Powerball. It's fantastic. My kid pointed out today, we were driving up um, Piedmont Road. There's a sign, one of these digital signs about the, the lottery. He's like, Powerball is up to 290 million. All right. I'm like, good. You know, remember the, um, in New York, anybody, if anybody's from New York or familiar with New York, the slogan for the lottery was, all it takes is a dollar and a dream. A dollar and a dream. Anyway, so let's continue. Um, so Pharaoh is pleased. The fact that there's all these other brothers, all these other Josephs now moving to town. It's great. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, tell your brothers the following. Do this, load up your beasts and go enter the land of Canaan. In other words, load up all your animals and head back to Canaan and then take your father and your households and come to me. Pharaoh is rolling out the red carpet. I mean, this is a far cry from what's going to happen later on with the, with the subsequent pharaohs. They were all called Pharaoh, obviously, right? Pharaoh is the name of... Anyway, so he's saying, guys, um, he says to Joseph, tell your brothers, go back home, go to Canaan with all the stuff, and then come back with you know, whatever you need provisions, and then come back down, you, your father, your households, the whole deal. And I will give you, says Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat... The fat of the land. I'm going to take good care of you. Pharaoh can't wait for Joseph's family to join. And he is rolling out the red carpet. And you, Joseph, says Pharaoh, and you, Joseph, have been commanded to tell them, do this. Take yourselves wagons from the land of Egypt for your young children and for your wives. Because, I mean, think about it. They lived in Canaan. They have a lot of stuff. And they're going to need moving trucks. So where do you get moving trucks? Like, what are you, um, two men in a wagon? I mean, like, what are you, isn't that the thing, two men in a truck? Yes? All right. Just checking. Just checking the reference. Two men in a wagon, right? Uh, like, instead of having to make the arrangements from Canaan and, and pay for it, Pharaoh says, take wagons from here. Take wagons from Egypt for your young children, for your wives, and you shall carry your father and come. In other words, take the stuff from here. Take the trucks, take the wagons, go up to Canaan, load up everything, and come down, move down to Egypt. All expenses paid. And let your eye not be concerned about your utensils. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Let's see, where, if, let's see if there's a Rashi on this. Give me a moment. Nope. Okay. Either it means don't, you don't have to pack everything up because you can get more stuff here. Or it means um, you can take whatever you need because it's all available. One, one of those two options, the way I'm reading it now, is, uh, is the meaning. Maybe one, maybe both. Okay. Verse 21. So 
Pharaoh is clearly very generous and very welcoming. That's nice of him. And the sons of Israel did so. They did. The 11 brothers. And Joseph gave them wagons by Pharaoh's orders. The, the moving wagons that they could load up and move down. And he gave them provisions for the way. It's a, it's a really nice phrase in Hebrew. Tzeda laderach. Tzeda laderach. We, we use that phrase today in colloquial Hebrew conversation. When you have um, you know, somebody's visiting and they're, gonna, they're about to take leave and you know the Jewish thing is to load them up with food, right? You say, here, take some tzeda laderach. Take some provisions for the way. A sandwich, a bagel, whatever, yeah, some cheesecake, yeah, a coffee. What do you need? Say the Ladera, take some, take some provisions for the way. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Anyway, let's continue. Verse 22. He gave them all. He gave all the brothers wagons and food and prov- everything. To each one, he gave several changes of clothes. He gave them clothing. And to Benjamin... So Joseph, Pharaoh told Joseph, give them whatever they need. So Joseph was the one that actually gave his brothers the stuff that they needed. So he gave them wagons. He gave each of them several changes of clothes. And to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. Benjamin, his closest brother, biologically from his mother. So he gives a little bit more than the other brothers. Still can't. Still can't hold back from, uh, you know, imbalance, whatever. It's, what are you going to do? I, it is what it is. He gives all of them stuff, but he gives Benjamin a little bit more. Let's continue. And to his father, Joseph sent the following 10 he donkeys carrying the best of Egypt. I love that. Probably a little sampler, like little, little mini pyramids of fruit and little, I'm just joking, whatever. They had like, you know, it's different displays and whatnot. Ten she-donkeys carrying grain, bread, and other food for his father for the way. Now this is, mind you, this is year two of the seven years of famine. The world, or that region at least, is severely um, undernourished. I mean, there's no food except for Egypt. And even in Egypt, as we'll see, um, End of this week's Torah portion or next week's Torah End of this week's Torah portion, as we'll see, even the food was rationed out because there were seven years of famine. It's not like they were just like, you know, blowing through the food. They were being very careful about how to allocate the food. But when it comes to Joseph's family, psh, wagons and donkeys and clothing and silver and food and bread and everything. All right, let's continue. Actually, let's see if there's a Rashi. I, wanna, I feel like I recall a Rashi here. Yeah. The best of Egypt. What did he send? I made a joke about fruit pyramids. We find in the, in the Talmud, Tractate Megillah, that he sent him aged wine. Old vintage. Because elderly, elderly people find contentment with it. <laughs> elderly people like uh, like aged wine why listen to this brackets look at the commentary i.e the fact that wine improves with age often affords contentment to the elderly it's a coded message not only is the wine better but the message is see things improve with age right we love you zady it's like that's that's the that's the message the message is things get better with age 
according to the Medrash, so that's the Talmud, according to the Medrash, Rashi says, however, this refers to pounded beans. Pounded beans, which have a soothing effect on a troubled spirit. Now you know. If you're ever feeling a little down, first of all, smile. Second of all, dance. Third of all, right? Call me up, whatever. Fourth of all, study some Torah. Have huh? some aged wine. Have some aged wine and some pounded beans. And, and everything will be okay. Right? We got to make, make a song about that. All right. Um, I don't even know what pounded beans are, but I guess Rashi knew what they were. And maybe, some, maybe somebody knows somewhere what that was. And he gave them other food, things eaten with bread. I'm, I'm picturing like baba ganoush and hummus and all that stuff. But that's just me. Okay, let's get back inside. Sorry, let me toggle Rashi off for a moment. Okay, we're up to verse 24. Listen to this. And he sent off his brothers to go back home to get dad and the family. And they went. And he said to them, listen to what he said to them right before he sent them off. Do not quarrel on the way. No fights. Why was he anticipating a fight? He knew. Joseph was a, was a, was a smart guy. I'm about to say wise guy, but that has a different connotation. Joseph was smart. He knew what's going to happen when the, when the brothers start traveling, and they're now by themselves. It's your fault. It's your fault. They're going to start blaming each other for, for the events of 20 years ago. It's not going to be good. He said, do not fight. Do not quarrel on the way. You are forgiven. You are you know, absolved of whatever it is, etc. So they went up from Egypt, did the brothers, and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him. They told Jacob. And this is what they said. Joseph is still alive. Yosef is still alive. And they told him that he ruled over the entire land of Egypt. Talk about a message. Talk about surprising information. They told him Joseph is alive and he's a ruler over the entire land of Egypt. Think of a song that Maura Sarah Carter, who's on with us Wednesday nights, Torah Studies. She's a teacher, songwriter. Kids, she made a kids album a few years ago. One of the songs is this one. Yosef is still alive. Yosef, I'm not going to sing it, but Yosef is still alive and well, and he's a ruler in Mitzrayim, Egypt. Anyway, it's taken from right here. Beautiful song. And his heart changed. Jacob's heart changed. Changed is a, is a bit of a weird expression. His heart... I mean, you'll see the context, for he did not believe them. He didn't believe. Like, he, he couldn't believe what he heard. Joseph is still alive. And he's a ruler of Egypt. His heart was like changed, meaning it like it just was. It felt different. It felt uncomfortable. It felt like it just couldn't couldn't believe them. Verse twenty seven, and they told him all of Joseph's words that he sent to them. And he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him. Finally, he believed. And the spirit of their father Jacob was revived after all these years, 20 to 22 years. Finally. Oh, it's 22 years. We did the math already. He was sold at 37, sorry, at 17, and now he's 39, right? We did 20 years plus two years of famine, 22 years. 22 years. And finally, his spirit 
is revived. All right, let's fill in the last few Rashi's. Let's see what we got over here. Okay, remember he told his brothers, don't fight, no quarreling on the way. So Rashi gives three interpretations. Number one, do not engage in a halachic discussion lest the way cause you to stray. In other words, don't get carried away with your scholarship because you might forget where you're going. It's an interesting interpretation. Another explanation. So quarrel doesn't mean actually fighting with each other. It means debating each other in, in Torah study. Second explanation is do not walk with large steps and enter the city while the sun is shining. Why? I'm not sure. We would have to look up the Talmud, Tainit, Tembi. Okay, but according to the simple meaning of the verse, and this is what I shared, we can say that since they were ashamed, Joseph was concerned that they would perhaps quarrel on the way about his being sold, debating with one another and saying, because of you he was sold, you slandered him and caused us to hate him. In other words, they would point fingers at each other and blame each other for what they did to, to Joseph 22 years prior. So he said, don't do that. That's a simple meaning. Um, his heart changed. Rashi says, Vayafagliboy. What does that mean? His heart changed and went away from believing. In other words, his heart did not turn to believe these words. Instead of believing that Joseph, instead of hearing that Joseph is alive and a ruler and believing it, his heart was elsewhere. He couldn't believe it. Vayafag is a term similar to their taste changes in the language of the Mishnah and without respite. Also, and its, its bouquet did not change. Okay, fine. So the idea of changing is heart changed. It, it just it, it didn't feel right until they explained everything and, and they told him the words. So all of Joseph's words, here we go. He, Joseph, gave them a sign. Specifically, in what topic he was engaged in when Joseph separated from Jacob. In other words, Joseph said, Joseph gave a sign for their father, for his father, about the last thing that they were learning before he sent him to check on the brothers. I feel like I need to just explain this a little bit more. When Jacob sent his son Joseph to check on his brothers, at which point they kidnapped him and sold him as a slave, he had been studying Torah with his dad. He was at home studying Torah. The, the brothers were shepherding. It was a, a, a toxic situation to, for, the, for, for Joseph to be with the brothers. So he was at home with his dad learning, and he, he sent him to check on them. So he gave him a sign of the last, the last topic that they were studying. That way he would know it's Joseph. So what was, this, what was he learning? This was the section dealing with the heifer that was to be beheaded, known as the Agdar Rufa. And this is what Scripture says. And he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent. And Scripture does not say that Pharaoh had sent. Even though Pharaoh sent the wagons, they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent because wagon in Hebrew is an agola. And the calf or the heifer is called an egla. Egla. Egla and, and, and agola are similar. Calf and wagon. Egla, agola. So when he sent him the wagons, it was also a coded message that the last thing we were studying was about the calf, the heifer, that was to be beheaded. Okay. Well, I don't know that... I, the, 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 all right, to get into it very quickly. Actually, let's do one more Rashi, then I'll explain the previous Rashi. The spirit of Jacob was revived. Rashi says the Shekhinah, the divine presence, which had separated from him because of his grief, rested upon him once again. It seems like the grief itself, the sadness pushed away the divine presence, and now that his heart 
came back and was revived, so the spirit was also revived. The divine presence, once again, was shining. And that, that speaks to the idea, that, to the power of our moods to create a spiritual ambiance and a spiritual condition around us. Our mood determines in a, really, in, in a very real way um, the level of, of spirituality that we, we can perceive. All right, very quickly, this, uh, the Egla Rufa. What is this, the heifer whose neck is broken? The Torah later on in Deuteronomy gives a law. We studied together in DPP some months ago. Basically, if a person is found, God forbid, murdered in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a field, no evidence, no, not, we, we don't even know who this guy is. You take, you measure to find the closest city. And when you find the closest city, the elders of that city and the priests, they come out into the field and you do a bit of a, a bit of a ceremony where the elders and the priests, where everyone absolves themselves of, of guilt for, this, for, the, for the loss of life. And what's done is a calf, um, a, a young calf's neck is broken and it's, uh, it, it acts as a sacrifice. And what's, what's the intention? Intention is that here this person's life got cut short. It's being symbolized with this calf. Again, I, I know that it's, it's not something that necessarily is 2021 sensibilities as far as, you know, calf's necks being broken, but this is, what the, this is what the law is. Had to be a calf that was never worked in the prime of its life, but it's, it's untapped potential to kind of really evoke the, the sense of untapped potential. It's really a way of making sure that no one ever become a statistic uh, or just a statistic, that every life is precious and even in death, even in unsolved murder, um, is being noted by the community, is being mourned collectively, and something real and, and pain is, is, is really being felt, as opposed to some people just, you know, some people are victims of crimes and it is what it is and we move on with our day. This is a way to really take note and to really, you know, to, to feel a connection with that loss and to mourn the loss. The other message is to inspire us to do whatever we can to make sure that no one is ever traveling alone, literally or metaphorically, in this journey of life, to make sure that no one's ever alone and vulnerable, that we are there for the other person to make sure that they have safe travel, safe journeys in this um, large uh, and treacherous trek called life. So all of this is to say that Joe, that, and that was the last, those were the last laws that Joseph was learning with his dad before he went to check on his brothers 22 years ago and, and had been sold as a slave. So he was reminding his dad or giving a wink to his father by sending the wagons because wagons in Hebrew is agala and, and the calf in Hebrew is egla, similar, very similar sounding, and the same letters and similar sounding word, egla and agala. So he sent the wagons and that reminded Jacob of the egla, arufa, the laws regarding the calf that he had studied with Joseph and he said, that's legit. It's Joseph. Joseph sent me those wagons. I can tell that he's dropping a hint, dropping a clue in the matrix, or I mean in the gift. All right, my friends, that takes us to the end of today's reading. We're going to stop here. Um, some takeaways. So one takeaway. What was I thinking? Hold on. Let me, let me re recall my takeaway. The crying. The crying. Yes, thank you. Yes. Crying for someone else. But for yourself, take action. Um, 
What else did we have? No quarreling, no pointing fingers. Never good to, uh, to engage in blame and, and finger pointing. And the idea of making sure that we take care of each other, that no one should be alone. No one should be traveling alone. Literally, metaphorically, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. No one should be alone. All right. Um, good. Great to see you all. Joy, Donna, Sandrine, Olia, Sarah. It's great to see you all. Um, tonight, 8 p.m., plug in for the Kabbalah, the Matrix. And tomorrow is Wednesday. So tomorrow night we have Torah study at the regular time of 7.30. In-person and online hybrid. And Thursday night. Don't miss this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thursday night. A book event for the ages. If you like Brooklyn and Brooklyn shopping. And you like the food of Brooklyn. You'll love a taste of the books. Not literally. But a taste of the books of Brooklyn. We should have called it that. The Books of Brooklyn. We're, we've brought in over a hundred different Jewish titles. Quality Jewish literature. Study and reading. And it'll be available to peruse and to purchase Thursday night starting at 7 p.m. Don't miss this. You're going to love it. All right. Good to see you all today. See you all soon. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Rabbi. Bye. Thank you, Take Rabbi. care, all. Pleasure, pleasure. Enjoy Tip Top. Not TikTok or TikTok Thank also. Thank you. It was delicious. Oh, good. Okay, great. Nice. <laughs>